Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The FT. Hello and welcome back to the FT Arts Podcast. I'm Neville Hawcott, the FT's Deputy Arts Editor, and today we're reviewing two new albums by two of the most venerable singer-songwriters in the business, Leonard Cohen and Paul McCartney. With me to talk about them are Ludovic Hunter-Tilney, the FT's pop critic, Peter Aspen, FT arts writer, and novelist and FT writer Gautam Malkani, who recently opined in the newspaper's comment section that Cohen was a sage for our benighted times. Let's start with Leonard Cohen and move on to McCartney later. First of all, here's a clip from Going Home, the opening track of Cohen's new album, Old Ideas. He will speak these words of wisdom like a sage, a man of vision, though he knows he's really nothing but the brief elaboration of a tube. Going home without my sorrow, going home sometime tomorrow, going home to where it's better than before. Ludo, Old Ideas has had a pretty uh, universally rapturous reception. Should we believe the hype? The difficulty with uh, these venerable singer-songwriters is that the more venerable they get, so the surrounding sentiment that they carry with them gets more acute and it gets harder to judge what they're actually doing, if it's any good. In the case of Old Ideas, I'm glad to say that it definitely is. I think that it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a magnificent return to recording by Cohen, who hasn't made an album for a studio album for eight years. Um, the opening track that we heard just then, Going Home, he introduces his stage persona in the customary dryness as a lazy bastard living in a suit. And I think that the subsequent album, which has a very relaxed and easy sound, uh, finds him sort of elaborating on this theme of performance and of uh, the idea of, of, of ageing as well, in a way which is very uh, enticing. The uh, con- concept of performance is a significant one here, isn't it? Because uh, he notoriously had to go back to performing uh, after being, um, it seems, uh, swindled by uh, his manager. That's right. In the 90s, Cohen lived in a, in a, a Zen monastery where he uh, was uh, studied Buddhism. Um, and was known, I think, by the name of uh, Silence, I think was his, uh, his Buddhist alter ego. And uh, although he did put a couple of albums out in the early 2000s, he didn't do any uh, touring at all. Then he discovered in the mid-2000s that his, uh, his savings had disappeared, and he, he alleges an embezzlement by a previous manager who was also a previous lover. And uh, as a result of this disappearance of his pension pot, he, he w- went back on the road and has uh, come up with a very uh, an excellent l- a live act in which he seems to actually, although he seems to be compelled to perform again, he seems to really be relishing it and enjoying it. I think at this point we'd better say allegedly swindled by his manager just to play, uh, play it absolutely, uh, absolutely safe. Allegedly? I, I think I said allegedly. I think you did. I think I didn't uh, to begin with, though, so uh, let's play safe there. Uh, is he a good person to see live, then? He's an expert person to see live. He's now got this sort of image that he's uh, created for himself, almost like a sort of... He's from... Uh, remembering that he's from Montreal... Um, in, in one of his first novels, he wrote about the uh, the separation between French Quebecois life and the Jewish 
upbringing that he himself uh, experienced. And uh, interestingly, as he's got older, he seems to have adopted the chansonnier style of, of this sort of French side of his personality. And he has the fedora, the suit, he has great courtly charm. And uh, he's a sort of like a sort of much calmer, uh, nicer Serge Gainsbourg. Go to me. In your piece that you wrote for the uh, comment page, you said that when you went to see him, uh, the middle-aged man next to you was crying. Is it a very emotional experience going to see uh, him perform? Well, I just think when he embarked on this comeback tour, this remarkable comeback tour in 2008, you know, after stealing the show at Glastonbury almost from out of nowhere, there was this strange feeling that, uh, that I wouldn't call it hysteria, but there was something, it was something that seemed to have come over everyone that sort of people just coming out of the woodwork and people seemed to be rediscovering him and, and he just seemed to be the right man for the moment. I mean, I, I was talking to a lot of people in 2008 and it was just, it was one big fawn fest and, and, and it just struck me that, you know, that there was something odd going on here, something more than just the music. He's always had a, a, a very devoted fan base, hasn't he, Peter? I mean, he's well, been yeah, big I, for a long time. I, I can tell you about that. I was once on a holiday in a Greek island called Hydra, Idra, um, which famously Lennon Cohen spent many years on. And uh, I was having a very quiet romantic meal in a taverna, and suddenly round the corner came about 250 uh, ageing Californian hippies dressed in sort of denims and leathers and proceeded to take over the entire taverna. And one of them pulled out an acoustic guitar. And um, this was, in fact, the biennial meeting of the Leonard Cohen Appreciation Society on Hydra, uh, an extraordinary event. And, and, and the whole of my holiday was punctuated by these people just sort of following me around. It was like a sort of Monty Python sketch. I mean, tremendous devotion, but it's not really surprising. You know, it's... This, you know, this is a this is a record. This is a man who who sings as if pop or rock or whatever you want to call it matters. You know, he's not afraid, never has been afraid to address the really weighty themes: um, mortality, love, sex, um, and it, it. They're very they're very resonant themes today as they always have been and I'm not at all surprised that he has such following. I was fascinated a few years back I can't remember when there was this battle for the number one slot for for Hallelujah. I mean people, the, the, the hymnic quality of that song um, just people got fed up with voting the latest pop idol winner number one and um, th there's a real appetite for that. As pop music has become more and more crass and less and less important, people like Leonard Cohen are providing what's lacking. But he's also a, a notoriously sort of lugubrious singer, isn't he? I mean, in, in, the, in the past, if one uh, mentioned Leonard Cohen, the word that would invariably come up would be uh, depressing. Is that a fair encapsulation of his songwriting? Well, the first two albums were very dark, to be fair, but I think that his, his, his music and his writing's always been a lot more complex than that. I think there's this kind of... Um, there's this... I mean, whenever I listen to him, the first thing I do is smile, right? I, there's this kind of wit. It's one of those labels where, on the surface, it's very depressing, but there are there there is stuff going on beneath the sort of surface sadness that's, um, you know, that the label doesn't really do justice to. There's a lot of yeah. songs about uh, sex as well. Obviously, he's a sort of uh, infamous which ladies' isn't, man, which isn't a depressing subject. Not a depressing no. subject. So I think that that has Although, they do have a sort of drive. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you just look at his image, as you mentioned before, Ludo, you know, I mean, this is 
is this the coolest man on the planet? I mean, look at him. He just looks amazing. And he has that, even even the records, you know, he, he, he's always had sort of female choruses and, and the, the, new, the new album's not, no exception. And you just kind of imagine him in the corner in this suit looking immaculate, looking, as you say, being rather lugubrious and these sort of trio of angels on the side just sort of slowly just infusing the whole atmosphere with this eroticism and it's uh, it's very very powerful stuff it does it does make old age sound like something that could be spent sitting in sort of at a cafe watching really yeah. pretty women walk past <laughs> with a cup of coffee just to go back to this thing about him being depressive and just to kind of puncture that stereotype once more i mean i think there, there's this great um line by samuel beckett there's nothing is funnier than unhappiness and i think cohen really that profound wit that you can find in Summer Cohen's lyrics really kind of illustrates that perfectly. I suppose sex and death is a kind of uh, ideal combo for any kind of uh, art form, isn't it? And uh, songwriting is, uh, is no exception there. Um, talking of which, uh, let's move on to um, Paul McCartney's new album, which is possibly in a, in a rather sunnier vein. It has the cheeky title, Kisses on the Bottom, and it mostly consists of uh, covers of the uh, American Songbook Fair that uh, McCartney grew up listening to. Here's a clip from uh, one of McCartney's compositions called My Valentine. What if it rained? We didn't care. She said that someday soon the sun was gonna shine. And she was right. This love of mine, my valentine. Well, that's uh, that's very relaxing. Uh, Ludo, is this uh, is this just easy listening? Yes, it is, Neville. <laughs> it is easy listening. It's Maka does easy listening. Um, it uh, the kisses on the bottom title is taken from um, one of the songs, a, a song which Fats Waller had a hit with in the 1930s called I'm Going to Sit Right Down and Write Myself a Letter. Uh, McCartney says that he was being a bit mischievous choosing this title. Um, in the equal spirit of mischief, I actually sort of picture him announcing it to his record label, whom he claims begged him to change it, fell on their knees. Um, I actually picture them laughing sycophantically and feigning delight at the fact that Paul McCartney is going to write them an album of light jazz covers. Um, it is easy listening. It's quite pleasant. It's the epitome of niceness. But uh, whether it's the best use of McCartney's musical talents is a very large question mark. Peter, you've been a, a long time uh, fan of McCartney. Yeah, aren't? yeah. He's you know he's a heroic figure to me. He and Leonard Cohen. I think they're absolutely extraordinary for very different reasons. But here we have two men. You know, in in old age. I mean, there's ten years difference between them, but um, but they. They couldn't be more different. I mean, it's a difference in sensibility, isn't it? I mean, McCartney, really, his sensibility is always stuck at 25. It's always stuck at that sort of looking forward to things happening, the world, a kind of optimism. Uh, you know, and if you listen to the great songs he wrote, they are extraordinarily uplifting. You know, Penny Lane, I defy, any, I defy anyone to listen to Penny Lane and not leave with a smile on the face, you know. But does that make a great type of music for somebody approaching 70 it's a bit of a tricky one and i i found this album very boring i have to say um it's um it's bland i i hate the arrangements i i i just don't don't think it's and his voice sounds rather peculiar there's a sort of slight elderly rasp isn't there 
but his register is still very high, and it, it's kind of an odd combination. It's, I found it kind of a, a little unsettling. But what should he be doing? I don't know. That's what he wants to be doing, and that's fine. You know, in the 70s, he wanted to be writing songs which his little kids would like, so he wrote Frog Chorus and Mary Had a Little Lamb, and he got a lot of stick for that. But, you know, he does what he wants, and that's great. He's earned that right. I think uh, you could argue that as people get older in the past, they've been seen as drifting more towards the middle of the road, and uh, maybe he's sort of reaching out to that sort of he audience. He was fairly near the middle of the road when he was 18, you know, so... Uh, he was divided by Lennon uh, for that, wasn't he, at oh, one point? Lennon hated that side of him. You know, songs like Your Mother Should Know and uh, what's the other one? When I'm 64, Lennon would just hate those things about McCartney. And he pushed him to be a little bit edgier, you know. Gautam, given the choice, uh, would you listen to uh, Old Ideas or uh, Kisses on the Bottom? I don't think you need to ask me that question. No, I look, I mean, you, I kind of feel sorry for Paul McCartney because, I mean, you know, where do you go after the Beatles? The, the contrast between Leonard Cohen and Paul McCartney, I mean, the most striking contrast is just the trajectory of their careers. Leonard Cohen, and one of the things I said in that comment piece is that Leonard Cohen has been this really long-term investment and it's just gone up. Uh, I mean, you know, he's, he, he's it's just gone up and up and up. I mean, he, he's had he's plateaued at certain points, but he's never really dipped. Whereas, you know, Paul McCartney started out with the Beatles and, you know, I've done a bit of research on them. They were pretty popular, right? I know. Um, where do you go after that? And so you, you, I feel kind of, you know, as Peter said, I mean, sort of anything goes with him. I mean, what can you, 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 you wouldn't want to ask too much after that. Yes, I think in, 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 the, in the Guinness Book of Records, I believe, he's uh, deemed to be the most successful musician and composer in popular music history, which is, which is hard to top, I think. I mean, it's interesting that the uh, American songbook has become a sort of uh, refuge for, for, for 60s and 70s pop stars as they sort of, uh, well, get on. Rod Stewart has made a, he's had a very big hit with his American songbook, I Can't Bear Them, but nonetheless, Husky Rob is Rod. <laughs> Has uh, has managed to do very well with those. I was reminded listening to McCartney, which um, I don't detest as much as Peter, of an album I, I disliked more, as it were. This isn't a very positive way of framing it. Of uh, Brian Wilson's Gershwin cover album, which came out last year, and I'm struck listening to both of them, both uh, Wilson and McCartney, who've often been compared as the sort of '60s geniuses, um, that they've that they've suffered particularly from having this genius tag placed around them as musicians, and that unlike, unlike Cohen and you could say Dylan, they don't have a sort of literary hinterland to fall back on. And as musicians, their limitations have basically been discovered. But as Peter was saying, McCartney is a, as a songwriter, particularly in his Beatles days, was, was second to none. And that's true of Cohen and Dylan too, isn't it? That would be the counter-example to that. But uh, he had, you know, but he had all these counterbalancing forces, you know, Lennon most famously and most obviously, but even George Martin, who, who would always, who always understood the, the, that kind of sugary nature of McCartney's melodies and would always underplay that. You know, there's no way the kind of arrangements we see on this new album would have been allowed by George Martin. You know, he would, he would counter that sugariness with this very, very dry arrangement. You know, even Eleanor Rigby, a very, very tasteful, elegant, you know, one of the greatest McCartney songs, I think. A very elegant accompaniment to that. Whereas as soon as you start putting sweeping strings in, it all becomes a mess for me. Gotem was saying in his piece about how Leonard Cohen is can be seen to be a sort of uh, um, a figure for our, our age. I mean, the question, I suppose, is whether McCartney would be able to be such a thing or if we want him to be. 
I think he was a figure for the sixties, for the for the mid nineteen sixties, when the when Britain optimism. felt yeah, yeah, when Britain felt great about itself. I always say when I hear Penny Lane, and I, I'm sure the years are not quite right, but I always think of Bobby Moore and a sunny day holding up the World Cup and Carnaby Street and blah blah blah. You know, swinging sixties. I mean, he was the right person for that right time. So he spoke for that age. I don't think he's got anything to say about today's age. I think it depends what kind of figure you want for our time, doesn't it? I mean, in a way, it, it's good to have a sort of uh, impressive and deep elder statesman person such as Cohen. But uh, equally, sometimes you just want to relax, listen to some nice music. And also the thing about the uh, McCartney album is that however much we dislike the bland arrangements, it's surely inarguable that he's got some terrific songs there, the covers that the songs that he's covering are uh, absolutely first class. You could also say that McCartney... Uh being possibly a somewhat uh, delusional figure nowadays and living off past glories is the perfect symbol of modern Britain. Ah, <laughs> yes. I would also say one more thing about his album, which I think is that there is the interesting thing about it is the link up with the Brill Building era of professional songwriting, which came before McCartney, Dylan, Wilson, Cohen, etc. Sorry, you have to explain to me what the Brill Building Brill is. Brill Building was the uh, centre in uh, New York on Broadway, I think, where the professional songwriters wrote all of these standards that McCartney has gone and covered. And uh, their life, the life of the professional songwriter, was blown away by Dylan initially and then the Beatles. This idea that you have to originate your own songs, you're not just going to interpret other people's. Um, they've disappeared. And here he is forming, you know, he's, he's looking at links, if you like, but he's doing it in such a sort of conventional and conservative and respectful manner that nothing really comes from it. So it's very backward looking, I suppose, in, a, in the way that uh, Cohen isn't, I guess, oddly enough, even though he's the older man. Well, I mean, the thing, the thing with Cohen, well, in terms of Cole, Cohen always was kind of an older man, I suppose. That's, you know, he, he, his first album came out when he was 37. So he always had this sort of um, aura of um, worldliness that other people didn't. But, but Cohen's also, he's also the man for the moment in the sense that, you know, the 2008 comeback coincided with the financial crisis and the investment banks, um, this kind of series of bankruptcies. And curiously, and um, well, uncannily, you know, we've already discussed Cohen. One of the reasons Cohen was on the road, came back on the road, or the main reason was because his own pension pot had sort of evaporated for whatever reason. So there is this parallel. And he seemed to, not that he was trying to capture any zeitgeist, but he seems to have. And, and there was this need for, as you just said, a sort of elderly statesman, because in the West, our political leaders haven't really tended to be elderly recently. You know, it's, it's, it's been more of a middle-aged job. To, and... Um, and the grand kind of financial architecture that we saw collapsing, well, the well, the kind of grandees that that sort of looked down on that were were you know were were elderly figures, and you know so Alan Greenspan's and, that, and that, you know that, that, and um, so they're now discredited elderly figures. They're not this. No, I just feel that. Look, I mean, I just think that there was, if you think of the financial crisis as partly a crisis of masculinity, right? That a certain type of masculinity was sort of discredited and there was this loss of these of, of the elderly kind of patriarchal kind of financial um, watchdogs, then I just think that there was something that people really needed. Uh, you know, people w were looking for a sort of a grandfatherly figure to come to come in to replace that. And people people want to find some something profound in the popular culture all around them. I mean, that's, that's, that's what happened in the 60s. 
And there's not a lot of it around now. And I think it's a great shame. I'm not saying every piece of popular culture has to be profound, but at least someone is trying and someone's trying to address the universal human themes. And, uh, and we have to respect that and admire that. He, he is cynicism proof. I mean, he can get away with lyrics that um, uttered by anyone else, he'd, they'd be accused of being pretentious. But Leonard Cohen has always been able to pull it off. And I think that, you know, that's, that's another thing that people are kind of looking to move beyond cynicism. And he, and he does that. We should celebrate profundity uh, where we can find it. Um, that's all we have time for this week. Uh, thank you to my studio guests, uh, Ludovic Hunter-Tilney, Peter Aspden and Gautam Malkani. And thank you for listening. The Arts Podcast was produced by Griselda Murray-Brown. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.